All right, last week we talked about how crucial it is for parents to understand that we ourselves are our children. And it's crucial for us to know that we have a father. And as we press into how our father disciplines us or trains us, it better equips us to understand um, how to be parents. And so we started with identity in Hebrews chapter 12 and identity in Christ and how the foundation we must have isn't the performance-based, works-based understanding of relationship with God, but a grace understanding, a grace-based understanding of our relationship with God, our identity in Christ. And then we talked about how loving and good it is that God, our Father, trains us. He trains, He disciplines the sons that He loves. And so it's just a fantastic thing that we, we looked at last week. And so the takeaways from last week are, number one, my standing with God is not based on what I do, but what Christ has done. And this is something that we want to be in the lives of our children. They, they're not vying for our love. They're not performing for our love. They're not uh, uh, doing everything they're doing with one eye on their activity that they're doing and one eye on us to look for an approving, approving look for us. They are secure knowing that we love them. Number two, therefore God's love for me is not based on what I do. Number three, I am God's child. He is my father. Number four, he disciplines his children for their good. He loves us and is concerned with our heart transformation. So God the Father is, is not worried. He's working toward uh, Christ-likeness in us. Holiness, change from the inside out. Not just external conformity to rules, but inside our hearts being transformed from the inside out. Number five, we learn to parent our children by understanding that we are children too, children with a father. So we consider the discipline or the training of the Lord. And this week, I want to look at this again um, in a similar way and just kind of answer the question, how does God instruct his children? How does God instruct his ch children? So um, we're going to look at primarily three different Bible verses, four Bible verses actually, passages. And... Uh, and then hopefully we'll get some dialogue at the end, okay? So we have to understand about God's instruction to his children. So God's instruction for believers. When we get to the New Testament, we get commands like, uh, do not let any unclean thing or unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Or be holy for I am holy. Or do not neglect the gathering of the assembly. Just simple commands like that. Forgiving one another for how God in Christ forgave you. Commands in the New Testament. We have to understand the nature of those commands. We have to understand something first before we get to those commands. What God has done comes before what we are commanded to do. And the New Testament over and over again connects these two things. It tells us what God has done for us and then it gives us instruction on in what to do. And we're just reminded over and over and over again about what God has done for us. What God has done for us. What God has done for us. And then we'll get some commands. And then we'll be reminded about what God has done for us, what God has done for us. We're reminded regularly about the work of God on our behalf. And so that, lest we become confused and think that the Christian life is just about our activities and what we're doing, we're reminded over and over again in every single letter, Christians are reminded about the gospel of Jesus. With the exception of Philemon and the action that's wanted and that's prompted, prompted in the book of Philemon is based on their brotherhood in Christ. And so there is an explicit gospel information in the book of Philemon, but the whole book is built around the idea that they are one in Christ. They're united in Christ, therefore receive Onesimus back as a brother, not a slave. Uh, but I want to see in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, an example of misbehaving children. If you just think about different churches in the New Testament, the book of Philip, like the church in Philippi, 
Okay, if they were representative of a child, this is the well-behaved child. Philippi would be a well-behaved child. And the book of Philippians is written as a, just an edifying letter. Hey, you're, you're doing great. You're, be encouraged. The grace of God is evident. What he began in you, he's going to carry out into completion. This is the child that is doing very, very well. The book of 1 Corinthians, if you could kind of, like, kind of put a child to the first book of 1 Corinthians, it would be me as a child. This is the very energetic, very wild, very uh, strong-willed child. The book of 1 Corinthians is addressed to children in the faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, okay, believers, but they have a lot of trouble. They've got a lot of difficulty. We know this. Just kind of going through the book. There's divisions in the church. There is arrogance. Sexual sin is being celebrated. So not just brushed under the rug, but kind of put up on a pedestal, and they're arrogant about it. Four, there's lawsuits between believers. Five, there's, getting, there's people who are getting drunk, hammered at church gatherings. They're misusing spiritual gifts. There's idolatry that's rampant through the church. They have rejected, in chapter 11, gender, gender distinctions. They were not loving each other, and clearly, they were just simply out of line. And so, the way in which the Holy Spirit directs Paul to address this church can be instructive to us in understanding how to deal with unruly households, unruly children. It can give us, uh, I think, some help. Paul spent a year and a half with them. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter, in Acts chapter 18, he was in Corinth for a year and a half. Uh, so he spent a lot of time there. And if you, were, if you had spent a lot of time with the city and you, were, you had planted this church and spent time just... I mean, in the trenches with them, you knew these people and you knew the stories. Like, you knew the sin that was happening. You knew the lawsuits. Who's suing who? What's, why are they going to Rome about this? And you hear about it. Let me just ask you a question. What kind of letter would you write to this church? What would be your tone? What would be your first response out of the gate? And then let's consider what they get in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. And I think it'll be helpful for us to kind of get some handles on how God instructs his children. Just look at verse, we're going to look down from 4 to 9. That's, that's what we're going to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, down through verse 9. And by the way, if you guys get a chance tonight, make sure Mike, my friend Michael over there is uh, uh, with us tonight. And I got to meet him the other day. If you get a chance, make sure and meet him. Are you taking off, Michael? Are you taking off? Oh, are you taking off? Yeah. Oh, you are? Okay, we'll come back at the end and we'll be able to help you out, hopefully, in, in trying to think through what you need to do, what you need to do next. Come back right after. I mean, here in about 45 minutes, we'll be done. This, the, oh, okay, okay. We'll stick around and we'll talk to you. Well, there's a bathroom right there. Just go right out there to the left and you can go to the restroom. Feel free to use that. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. Here's what it says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Now, this is really amazing to me. That the Holy Spirit would lead Paul to write this in the introductory notes to the book of Corinth. Or to the church of Corinth. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ. What grace is evident in Corinth? Seriously. Like, where, where's the grace in Corinth? They're a mess. And yet he's thankful for them in their mess. This is really, really crucial. Really crucial. Always thankful for them. I would not personally be complimentary to the church at Corinth. I really wouldn't. I would be, I would kind of wear my frustrations on the sleeve. I'd be like, listen, hey, Johannes, uh, what's going on? Leave them alone. Quit it from the beginning. I would be very, very frustrated. And certainly he does get to instruction, but not first. First, he's talking to them about what God has done for them and will do for them. Look at verse 8. If any church needed to hear this, you would think it would be like Philippi. But no, it's Corinth. Corinth gets this. Or Ephesus, who's hitting the ball out of the park in so many ways as well. Even for years, hitting the ball out of the park before they abandon they forget their first love. But here's what we get in verse 8 to the church in Corinth. Who will sustain you sustain you to the end guiltless until the day of Christ Jesus. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son. So it's Corinth that gets this verse. Nobody else gets this. Philippi does get, he who began a good work in you is faithful and will com to complete it and carry out to completion. I butchered that verse, but Corinth gets this. And wouldn't you think, if you're just thinking naturally here, that they would get warning from the beginning? That's what I would naturally think, that there would just be warning out of the gate. But it's not. It's grace. You haven't lacked any spiritual gift. God's going to sustain you guiltless to the end. And then look at verse 28 to 31. This is all in the first chapter. Just beginning of the letter. 28, God chose what is low and, and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God did something to the church in Corinth, and Paul wanted them to be reminded about what God has done. So he would tell them what to do and not to do, but not without reminding them of what God has done already. So there's a foundation for the church of Corinth. that There is a security there for them, a standing with God there for them, a, uh, a firm foundation, a soil that the commands can grow out of. There is a security there. There's a reminder. There's verbal affirmation of God's grace in them before instruction comes. And you see this all through the New Testament. It's everywhere. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 32 down through chapter 5, verse 2. Just flip there real quick, and I just want you to see these things connected. And I'm kind of just now picking proof text, text, basically, to just show that these things are connected. Um, there's a foundation of God's grace, and then the commands are connected to that, so they're not just mutually exclusive. In verse 32 of chapter 4, it says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as 
God in Christ forgave you. So the command, it comes up from something else that's been done. The command to us grows from a soil of what God has done for us, as God in Christ forgave you. So how am I supposed to forgive you? How are you supposed to forgive me? Well, the power apparently to forgive other people comes from us looking back and considering how God in Christ forgave me. So when I understand how much I've been forgiven of, forgiveness, just kind of like the parable in Luke 16, or Luke 8, Luke 16, forgiveness is just natural. I mean, it's just the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's just, it's just crazy to think that you could be forgiven of so much and then not go and forgive. So the command is connected to what God has done for us in Christ. And then verse 5, it continues, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as, uh, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how are we to love one another? The command is clear. We are to love one another. We are to imitate God as beloved children. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we're immediately from the command brought to, wait, consider what God has done for you. What God has done for you. How are we supposed to love? As God has loved us in Christ. So we start thinking about, how has God loved me? And the Holy Spirit brings us back to, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's present tense love for me right now. And as we think about that, as the Holy Spirit stirs that up in us, we begin to love. These things are connected. So what God has done, this foundation of love, His work, then it, it drives us to our work. Okay, What we are to do. It, the soil there is fertile for our spiritual growth. This is how He's instructing us. He's connecting these two pieces. He's going back to this time and time again. We, we get beat like a dead horse over and over and over again. Boom. With the mallet of God's grace in the epistles and in the gospels. It's just God's grace is everywhere. And it's just boom. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Be reminded of this. Okay. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 is another fan, I mean, just fabulous passage. And look at these two verses. I want you to see this. And then we're going to connect some dots with parenting. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So, let me interpret that real quick for you. All people who are saved are saved by the same grace. Everyone saved, all of them, are all saved by grace. So this isn't a passage on universalism bringing salvation to all people. So all people who are saved are saved by grace. Nobody can be saved without God's grace. Verse 12, God's grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Okay. I'm assuming we all want this for, for our children, young or old. Even if we don't have kids, we want this for the people around us. For the younger people around us, for the older people around us, we want this. Here's a good goal for us to have for anybody in our lives. We want people to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We want them to live self-controlled, upright lives, godly in this present age. That's what anybody would want for their, for their kids, for their 
parents, for their neighbors, their friends. These are really good things. What is the training regimen for that instruction? For that to happen, what happens prior? Well, this is interesting. Grace is doing something. Our training regimen, where, where we are transformed, according to verse 12, is grace is training us to renounce ungodliness. Grace is having an effect in us. So grace doesn't just come to us, wow us, you know, just thrill our minds and thrill our hearts and leave us the same way. Grace is doing something inside of our heart, in our affection, in our mind, in our very will. God's grace is affecting a person to where a person is actually changing. Changing not just behavior externally, but changing from the inside out. And that's huge. People can have mastery over their bodies, okay, over actions. Ben Franklin was big on self-discipline. You can look at out there, and there's a lot of things that can happen and good tools um, that can help people change externally. But God's grace here is, is doing something internally in us, and the effect of what's happening internal is something that happens external. So the internal change is producing, this grace is doing something. It's a training regimen. Now, when we go and train, Jordan's training now, okay? She's going to, not training, but she's working out. She's going to the gym up at Gold's. And, uh, and she goes there, and she does weights, and she does these. And I, I can go once a week with her. And yesterday evening, I went with her, and I did these barbell training thing, where you take, not barbell, you do these uh, kettlebell, kettlebell. So I had these kettlebell. And I would lift and I'd go like this. And I'd never done anything like that before. And it wasn't very heavy weight. But it was awful. I wasn't trained for it. Like it was just felt, it felt terrible. Now the other things were really easy. That was the hardest thing. Like the thing, some of the things that were harder for Jordan weren't hard for me. Because I've been doing some, some uh, dark uh, dumbbell stuff at home. And so I was able to do that. I'd been training a little bit. So that those exercises I was prepared for. Okay. So when we think about training, usually we think about physical exertion to, to do something or to accomplish a goal or something like that. The training ground for holiness in this passage is God's grace. It's not just the instruction. Now, instruction is good. We need instruction. But if instruction isn't connected to the firm foundation over and over and over and over again, we're going to go awry. And in, how, how quick are we as Christians to forget God's grace and fall into works-based righteousness? Where we forget and feel like I can't pray or God is hearing me less right now because of what I just did or did not do. Or God's eye is upon me, not in a favorable way, but in a frustrated way. We forget this time and time again. And we are spirit-filled believers, and this is God we're talking about. Okay, so I want to, to think about these things because when we go to our children, we got to remember that our children are, are, are even more forgetful than we are in many ways. Okay, now this is the training resume. It trains us to say no to ungodly sin and to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, live self-control. Grace just simply trains us. And then if we consider just the weekly rhythms, so those are just three samples in, in the Bible, but if we just consider three um, weekly rhythms are, are just rhythms, maybe not weekly, but rhythms that God has built into how we function as the body of Christ can also be helpful for us as we jump into talking about parenting. Uh, three things to consider. The rhythm number one, we have a weekly rhythm of the Lord's day, okay, where we come and we are reminded of truth about God. And we remind each other, hey, you're loved. 
We have the passing of the peace every single week. What was this last Sunday's passing of the peace? What song? Do we remember? He clings to us. Okay, we're reminded, oh, God's favor is upon me. He loves me. Then when we get to instruction, okay, we've already been prepped because we've been reminded about God's grace. Okay, when I hear instruction now, I'm not hearing do this to earn something from God. Because I've been trained again by God's grace already this morning. We've, we've, we've come to each other again and we've reminded each other of you're loved. God loves you. You're safe. Okay? You walk through those red doors and you're reminded the blood of Christ covers me. There's a foundation for the instruction. And it's over and over and over again. So it's built into the rhythms. We receive communion weekly here. Okay? Every time we receive communion, this is a rhythm that's built into our lives to remind us, even though I have not performed well, or even if I have performed well, my standing with God is based on the body and the blood of Jesus. And so we come to the table and we remember, because we're forgetful. This is why Jesus gave us sacraments or ordinances, so we would remember. When we think about baptism, and the church has always baptized people, when you baptize somebody into the church, they are... We, we see this visible res representation of, of life, death, burial, and resurrection. We're reminded of truth. So over and over and over, we get these visible images, and we get these rhythms and patterns. We get these, the, these truths that we come together and remind each other of. So we have this foundation before instruction. And then we have seasons that are built into our year. Every single year, right now it's summer, and so Ryan and I, we're going out, and it's, it's scalding hot. We're trying to get done as fast as we can at bread route because it's so hot tomorrow morning by the way Andy we got to mow tomorrow and I'm going to be out there weeding it's Andy's mowing week and I'm going to try to get it done early because it's every week it comes and that heat is just boom pounding you you know and so these seasons come and these seasons go and what's built into the seasons well uh winter death spring resurrection we're reminded of even as the patterns and, and of the way that we go fall Growing gracefully old and growing in beauty and dignity in the fall as we grow older. You know, there's, there's beauty that's wired into this whole way that we exist. God has just built it to remind us of his love, his care for us. It's just amazing. So in the same way that we easily forget God's love, his favor towards us, and the same way we easily drift towards performance-driven faith, works-based righteousness, our kids forget our love and affection for them. So we tell them over and over, and, and Ransom's quick to remind me, he's like, Dad, when I say I don't like you, I still like you. I, I still like you. Okay, which is cute and it's wonderful. But our children will slip into, if we are not careful, works-based, performance-based righteousness. And we had this discussion earlier today about reward. Okay, we're giving reward to our children right now. Like, Ransom performs well when we give him a sticker chart. He does a good job. Okay, he goes downstairs on Sunday nights. Clearly not on Wednesday nights, but Sunday nights, he goes downstairs now. Or Sunday, Sunday morning, he goes downstairs. Okay, we've got to think through that. Is that training our children to say, if you get five stickers, you get something, I'm proud of you. Okay, 
Because those sorts of things, and those aren't necessarily bad, and, and I don't think those are bad. It's, it's helping us right now. But if we're not careful, we'll do what works and sacrifice their heart just to monitor behavior. Just to do what works. Whatever I can do to get them asleep. Whatever I can do to help them just... Uh, whatever I can do to keep them out of jail when they get older. Just whatever I can do to just... to. But heart is hard. It requires something of us. God reminds us over and over again of his love and grace for us. Even as he instructs us in it, it's always connected with his love for us. So let's make some connections now, okay, for our children. I think it would be wise for us to connect as often as possible our instruction and discipline with our love. So from the earliest time that our children can understand this, helping them know that these are not commands to them to take from them, but to give to them. That what we are doing for them, we are doing in love for their good. Verbally, God has verbally spoken to us his love over and over and over and over and over again. He did it to Corinth. He did it to every church in the New Testament. We just His love is communicated to us verbally. And not just verbally, in action, on a cross. And then we're reminded of his love over and over and over again. That's how he instructs us, by showering us with his love. And then, therefore, therefore, this is good for you. Okay. Obey. Follow holiness. Okay, this is so, so easy to talk about. So, so hard to do. But I don't think the answer in anything in the Christian life is, okay, I'm going to do better, I'm going to... I'm going to resolve. I'm going to do anything. But it's leaning into, okay, how does God father me? How does he instruct me? How often does he remind me of his love? So connect instruction with love. Tell them why. I'm doing this because I love you. I'm in the trenches with you in this. My kids are younger. And I get angry. I mean, I just confessed two weeks ago that, I, you know, on a Sunday morning when I was here of how frustrated I was that Sunday morning just because, you know, it's like explosions on Sunday morning of everything. It's just fires everywhere. Everybody's upset. Everybody's frustrated. You know, what the heck is going on? My son won't go downstairs. I don't know why. His friends are down there. Go downstairs. Okay? So... It's hard to connect these things, and especially when you've got a three-nager, um, it's, it's hard to explain, this is because I love you. Because they're thinking, well, no, it's not. It's because you hate me. Okay? But connecting as often as we can verbally, I love you, no matter what. Even if you don't do well, our kids need to hear this over and over and over again. You have a foundation of love here. I love you. You are loved. No matter what, you are loved. You don't have to work for that. You don't have to earn that, son. If you fail, look at me. I love you as much as I did before you failed. I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. And so we want to repeat that over and over again. This is what God does for us as he instructs us. There's never just, just vague instruction or even clear instruction with the expense of heart, heart, grace. So we need to hear, hear that from God and they need to hear that from us. So give them, and this comes from what Andy and I, we talked about earlier today. Um, 
give them grace surprises, our kids. How often has God given us stuff and joy and compassion and love that we didn't deserve? When our sticker chart wasn't full. And yet, God is gracious to us over and over again. Now, even as believers, I mean, my life has been marked by, we want a home makeover for goodness sake. And like years ago, two weeks before we got married, we want a home makeover. I mean, we want it, and it was done two weeks before we got married. And it was like exhibit with cars, but instead a 1973 trailer got decked out. I mean, remember that on MTV when I used to sneak to watch MTV? It was, I can't even say it, it's such a crude name of a show. But anyways, he would take junky cars and he would make these cars and trucks very, very like decked out. And I didn't deserve that. It was a great surprise. I was, I was a knucklehead and God was gracious to me. Uh, it was just, it was a great surprise. Andy was telling me, and I hope I can tell this because if not, punch me later or something. But he was telling me that his dad and mom, every once in a while, would just pick them up from school early, and they'd just go to the movies. And they, they didn't even know why. It was for nothing. Or they would get prizes, or they would get surprises or gifts. And it was for nothing. It wasn't for anything that they did or didn't do. It was just here. And that's amazing. That's, that's their parents doing a really good job. Not that they were perfect parents. Neither, none of us are. None of our parents were. But... That is awesome. Give them grace surprises where they're shocked. I didn't do anything to earn this. Or maybe this will work when they get older. I tried this a while back with Ransom. I said, Ransom, I'm going to give you grace. And so instead of me spanking you, I'm going to let you spank, spank me. And he goes, <clears throat> <laughs> and he loved it for all the wrong reasons. Like it wasn't smooth. You know, it wasn't this moment where he just cried like, oh, I don't it was like, and then he asked me multiple times afterwards to give him grace like that, where he, he you know, <laughs> let me spank you, Dad. It, it didn't go the way I planned it to go. Maybe it will when he's a little older. I don't know. But if we can make these connections in the same way that it's to, to forgive somebody else, the power to forgive somebody else in Ephesians 4 is to look back and consider, how's God forgiven me again? What's he done for me? Then it would be asinine for me not to forgive people. It would be insane. How could I not forgive? Have they sinned more against me than I have against God? Am I more holy than God? Am I more offended at their sin against me than I am my sin against God? What does that say about me? So in the same way the power to forgive is found in our forgiveness... The power of parenting, the path of parenting, for us, no matter what age your, your children is, how's, is God still fathering us the older we get? Yes. We're going to father our kids and mother our kids the older they get. You don't ever stop. This Dan, when your parents get older, does parenting stop? No. No. <laughs> He's got younger and older as well. It doesn't stop. Um, and so the power for parenting is to look back. Okay, how does God give me instruction? Well, it's always connected to, hey, be reminded, I love you. 
I love you. Like, you're secure here. This is not based on how you do with this. And it's not based on your works. And Titus says something crazy in chapter 11, verse 9, uh, in verse 1 through 9, he says, insist on these things and one of the, so that those who have believed in God will be carefully devoted to good works. And what we're to insist on is instruction. And then he tells us, he gives us seven commands, and then he tells us, he saved us not according to works done by us in righteousness. And I want you to tell them that their works have nothing to do with salvation, so they'll be devoted to good works. What? Yeah. Tell them that it has nothing to do with their standing before me, and then they'll be devoted to good works. 